This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Listeners, this is Teachers Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Sunday Twilight Show with Maud. It is 5 p.m. on this Sunday. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Right, dear listeners, it's a delight to welcome you today um, on this uh, beautiful day. It was a lovely sunshine in the afternoon and it's still daylight, which is a big difference. So I'm uh, Maud, your um, hostess, and uh, this is my 59th radio show in your delighting uh, delightful company. Um, first, I have to introduce myself to any potential listeners, any new potential listener. I am Maud, a French citizen of French and West African ancestry, living in the UK since August 2008. And I'm a professional educator working in a secondary um, school teaching humanities and languages. I also have some experience in um, the charity sector. You can follow me on social media at X Twitter, uh, and my um, profile you can find is on at prof prof MFL. All views expressed today are my own. So today I want to focus on a topic that is relevant to me as an educator and also as a parent of secondary school students, and that is what is going on in the field of education at the moment. So first, um, having one's finger on a teacher's pulse, you need to be obviously uh, involved in schools somehow. You need to also read the news, be on social, be have, having a presence on social media, but you also need to talk to teachers, which is what I do mostly on a daily basis. So this podcast is mostly relevant to teachers and educators, parents of children who are educated in the state school system, the curious and savvy, and people who want to know more about education and believe that education is a powerful political tool. So um, let's look at numbers and let's look at facts uh, to start. Um, how many teachers are there in the UK? Well, currently there are 624,520 full-time teachers in the United Kingdom. So a little bit more than half a million people are working in schools full-time. Obviously, there are more teachers who work part-time, but I do not have the figures for part-time teachers available. Most of these, um, almost half of these teachers work in primary school, 264,884 teachers. And then you have secondary school, 247,378. 
Now, there are also included some people who work in the independent sector, but that's just a little uh, drop in the ocean because remember, the independent sector concerns only 7% of children in the UK. So the majority of teaching staff work in state school. And there is also 27,000 um, people work in special schools, so either schools for the blind or schools for children with severe uh, special educational needs or children who are not able to attend the normal school system and are now in maybe a PRU. So let's look at the teacher population. Compared to most of uh, other countries, People in the UK are usually quite young when they are teaching. The overall average age of teachers in the United Kingdom is 43 years. And it's one of the youngest uh, teaching population in the world. Um, teachers are the fifth youngest in the world, according to a survey, and uh, the average age is 39 or 40. The overall average age for all jurisdictions, though, is 43. So if you take into account all sectors. Now, um, how much are they paid when they start, you might say? Because we talk about teacher pay a lot. There were strikes last year. And we also mentioned the fact that there is a retention, uh, teacher retention issue. So if you are a qualified teacher with QTS status, you will start, your um, salary will be £30,000 a year. It can be more if you work in London due to high cost of living in London. And that's for um, primary, second, primary and secondary school teachers. Now, their pay is analysed and um, changed on a yearly basis depending on their progress and on the, the students' <coughs> I beg your pardon, the students' results. And there is a scale which is available online if you're interested in knowing exactly how much the pay increases over the years. Now, the issue we have and we're facing in the UK is that we have almost a third of teachers who stop teaching after five years in the profession. So 31.3% of teachers walk away from teaching after having graduated taught for a few years. And this is uh, despite the introduction of the early career framework and uh, unimproved rates of pay for new teachers. So after the first year, we have already a loss of 12% of teachers. Now, you might think it might not affect your daily life, but you might have cousins or children or grandchildren who are going to school. There is a shortage of teachers in very um, important subjects, such as maths, science, modern languages, English, but also business studies and DT. So as you can see, some of these um, subjects are core subjects that every child needs. So it affects everyone and it affects the next generation. So the normal pension age in England is um, 69 now, and there are talks to push it to 71. Um, so we could, we could just be wondering how that would affect teachers. Um, could you picture a teacher age 67 in a classroom? Oof, that would be a bit tricky. 
Now, the pay can be uh, quite relevant if you rise up in the ranks and if you leave the classroom, because if you become a head teacher, you can be expected to earn starting salary of 54,000 pounds, and you can go all the way up to 130,000, which is quite significant significant. It might go higher if you're in a private sector as well. So head teacher pay is quite consequential. Um, let's look at the workforce in detail. So most of uh, the teachers have sometimes when they work in primary school are assisted by teaching assistants. The number of teaching assistants has been increasing a lot in recent years. Since 2021, we have 5,300 more teaching assistants and their total number is 281,000. So a very big a number of teaching assistants. Teaching assistants are not always qualified. They are just people who have a set of skills that make them really, really helpful to um, support the children who need special education in schools in the classroom. Now, the pupil-to-teacher ratio, according to the government uh, UK, gov.uk website, is 18 um, pupil to per teacher. So for 18 students, you would have one pupil. Obviously, in practice, it might be a little bit higher, depending on where you work. The median pay of all the workforce is £41,000, and the percentage of hours that a teacher spends um, and that is teaching is 87.4. And that's the hours spent teaching EBAC, um, post A-level qualifications as well. Now, as I said, we have an increase of 5,300 uh, teaching assistants. This is very welcome, but is it, it is far from enough to support all the students who need extra support in the classroom. Um, I said that the teacher to student ratio was uh, 18, but in, in some nurseries it's 20 students per teacher, in some secondary schools 16 per 0.8 per teacher, and in special schools and PRU it's 6.4 students per teacher. Now, we are often complaining that there isn't enough teachers to hire but the number of people who start teaching degrees usually were quite high. So there was an increase in the number of new teachers. But the problem is that they don't always finish the course. And in the first five years, a, a third of them drop and leave. So three in five teaching hours are spent teaching the EBAC subjects, which is GCSE uh, subjects. And almost nine in 10 of these hours are taught by a teacher with a relevant post A-level qualification. So the staff is usually well-trained. The staff is very professional. They teach a lot and they, they happen to be very busy. In Europe, English teachers or UK-based teachers spend a lot of time, long hours, in their uh, workplace, in their schools. In France, there's only 18 hours where the teachers has to be in the school, which are the legal hours. And in the UK, it's a minimum of 25. So way more uh, teaching hours and also more presence required. 
teachers are expected to be there from eight to four uh, by by the hierarchy. Whereas in France and in other countries, if they don't have a lesson or a class, they can leave. So how does it affect teachers? Well, teacher morale has been low for quite a while. And I have to say that since the pandemic, it's even worse. Um, to be enjoying your work, you need three important uh, principles. They were described by Daniel Pink in his book entitled Drive, the surprising truth about what motivates us. So according to Daniel Pink, the three tenets we have to have to, in order to enjoy our jobs are purpose, mastery, and autonomy. Which means that without these three tenets, you can't build up a sense of satisfaction in uh, doing your work. And these three principles are important in order to develop intrinsic motivation. Intrinsic motivation is when you find something that motivates you personally and um, you don't need an external pressure or an external framework to actually enjoy these things. It comes from within. So purpose, mastery and autonomy. Now, the problem, if you talk to a lot of teachers um, face to face or online on social media, is that you're going to say you're going to see that they are definitely very purpose um, fuel people. They really want to teach children, they really want to help them develop skills, and they really want to make a difference. That's why they chose to become teachers. So they have a strong sense of purpose. Now, mastery, more and more teachers are qualified teachers, so they do have uh, the training background and the academic knowledge um, they acquired during their stay at university. Now, the problem is more in the third tenet, autonomy. And if you ask any teacher since the creation of Ofsted, um, autonomy has been slowly crumbling. The structure of the educational system is deeply hierarchical. You have very strong corporate foundations for most schools and SLT um, is very often not allowing any democratic principles to filter into the way things are done which obviously goes against the, the tenet of autonomy. And then on, to top it up, um, SLT is also under a very strict control from Ofsted, uh, which is the, the right arm of the government. So you do have a problem because purpose is strong. Mastery depends on personal training and we can always access um, CPD, so current training, after work hours training on the internet, it is very easy to get more knowledge. So mastery can be solved on a personal basis, but autonomy is almost null. So what does it do to the teacher's morale? Well, the teacher's morale is really low because when you feel like you can't control your life, you feel uprooted and you feel ineffectual. And if you're a professional adult, feeling a feeling of inadequacy and, and feeling of um, not being able to do your job properly is disheartening. Uh, the, there is definitely a decline in teacher morale since COVID, but it was already there before that. There's a combination of factors in the United Kingdom that can explain that decline. Teachers 
do do have to attend school every day and stay for long hours. On top of that, they do have excessive workloads. I know lots of teachers who wake up at four in the morning in order to prepare their lesson plans and all the things they have to do, particularly if they teach both case three, four and case five. Case three students are aged from 11 to 14, case four, 14 to 16, and case five, post 16. So the level of mastery in your subject when you teach A-level students needs to be really high, um, which implies having a lot of time doing research and a lot of time preparing lessons. This is not taken into account when you're, giving, you're given your timetable. So excessive workloads, long presence hours that are compulsory, increased pressure to meet targets and targets that come from the government. So they're not coming from people who are professional teachers, but from politicians who have a very distant recollection of their experience of schools and quite often in the majority had access to private schools, which offer a completely different way of teaching. So these targets are highly um, unreachable for most. Also, teachers need to juggle with high expectations and very severely limited resources. If you talk to teachers about their budgets, some of them won't, won't be able to tell you how, how much money is allocated for, to their department because there's a lack of transparency in the structure of the school. But they will also tell you that they do not have enough money to order glue sticks, to order paper materials, and let alone subscription to websites in order to um, enrich the curriculum and the lesson plannings that they create. So few resources, excessive workload, long compulsory hours, increased pressure to meet targets that are unrealistic. And all this creates a deadly cocktail, a poisonous one. If you add to that the incessant demand for paperwork and a culture where everything has to be recorded in order to avoid a legal case, you get to a very difficult position. Since COVID, additional factors have had to be taken into account. There has been policy changes, there has been the impact of poverty and the pandemic, coupled with 14 years of austerity and budget costs. To, to top it all off, negative portrayal in the media and uh, harassment sometimes online coming from parents creates a lot of challenges that teachers have to face on a daily basis. But you could say this is a staff and management problem. Yes and no. I'll give you an, a little example. I have a lovely student called T. T is um, a person who is not particularly academic, but who really benefits from going to school because T has a difficult home life. T suffers from emotional neglect at times, so he really needs his teachers to be there and to um, give him what he needs on an emotional basis. Um, there was a succession of teachers who didn't stay in um, the um, one department and uh, the, the students are used to having supplies and teachers who stay for a few months and leave. So little T 
talked to the newest teacher who just arrived in September from another city in the UK. And T was testing boundaries. He often, he often does it. He's a good hearted person, but th this is how he um, evaluates people's character by pushing and testing. So T did used all his um, panoply of tools, um, being a little bit rude, being challenging, not listening, etc. But this teacher could feel that T was a lovely, lovely person and that T was just trying to suss um, her character. So the teacher one day uh, asked him to stay after class and just asked him how he was doing. And T repeated four times in that little conversation they had the question, Miss, are you going to stay? And when she assured him that she was, he still seemed like he couldn't trust her. So this impact of teacher retention and lack of uh, high morale in the teaching staff is having a nefarious impact on the students. Little T is only 11 or 12 years old now, but he, he feels like he has to make sure the teacher is going to stay in order to commit to that teacher. Because for T, it would be a waste of his emotions if the teacher was leaving again. So I think we should definitely keep that in mind when we talk about teacher retention and the crisis we're in. This has a direct emotional impact on young people who are often vulnerable and who need consistency and they need structure and a strong routine. So having a lot of changes and having teachers who never stay is never a sign of success in a developed country. Well-being is something that is a fashionable um, Instagram um, title or topic, which is ironic because I do believe that our well-being has been massively impacted by the pandemic and the, the ill consequences of the pandem pandemic are still being felt. Across the UK, 78% of education staff have reported being stressed. It's up 3% since last year, and 39% experienced a mental health issue in the last academic year. This was pre-COVID um, data. So if we asked again, it might be better because there is less of a fear of get catching the virus nowadays but there is still a lot of structural stress that the teaching profession is having to deal with on a daily basis. There was a report from the Education Support that was published in 2020. In that report, it was found that the role of teachers has expanded massively to include specialties and responsibilities that didn't used to be a teacher's responsibilities before. We are talking about emotional and pastoral responsibilities, which is the well-being of the students that are under our care and support. <coughs> I apologize. So these additional activities are not counted in the hours that the teachers make. This is all about filling forms when we feel that a child has got a dirty uniform or looks unkept or looks hungry, alerting the safeguarding officer about a child's mood or behavior, but also sometimes calling parents and 
for the teachers who have pastoral duties within the school, it's not uncommon for them to have to stay in school till 10 or 11 p.m. on a weekday because a child needs to be picked up by social services. These are extreme cases, but they are our daily routine in many, many, many schools. These pastoral responsibilities add to the workload, but also are putting the mental health and well-being of the staff in danger. It is really hard to deal with children being in high risk or distressed on a daily basis. And can I remind you that teachers are not trained to um, provide social service help, and yet they have to do it. 70% of teachers said their mental health and well-being was negatively impacted by these pastoral activities they have to undertake. Jeff Barton, who is the secretary of the Association of School and College Leaders, said, and I quote, the role of staff extends far beyond the classroom. They have become a de facto and unofficial branch of social services without any training. And I really think it's essential to remember that. When we praised the heroic figure of head teachers who would do rounds in their local community, distributing free school meals to families in need during the pandemic, we were praising their efforts, which was very charitable. But we were also shining a light on the failure from the government to provide basic, decent amount of food for poor people in the local area. And this is what teachers and head teachers and school staff have to have to do. They have to palliate for ineffective governments, which is really a sign of poor management and a sign of dereliction of duty. The government has a duty of care to all the children who are born in this country and who live in this country. If schools are becoming social services, if schools are becoming food banks, if schools are becoming places where we try to do therapy on the cheap, we have a complete failure of the Secretary of Education. Pastoral in many schools and in my current school has had to hire a lot of staff. The pastoral team is in charge of the well-being of students. What does it mean? Well, if you're in a very affluent area or in a school where um, parents are middle class and can afford uh, to feed their children, it won't be so much about um, making sure the children are well fed and uh, that their uniform is clean. It might be just emotional support due to anxiety and some cases of child neglect, but they won't be as as distressing as in poor communities. Now, I work in an inner city London school and the list of cases we have to deal with is staggering. We have to face children who are suffering from suicidal ideation, suicide attempts, severe mental health issues such as depression. Um, we have substance abuse, alcohol, vaping and other drugs. We have neglect, emotional, financial, and, um, and physical. 
we have physical abuse, we have sexual abuse, we have criminal sexual exploitation and uh, criminal exploitation, we have um, grooming, we have poverty, we have um, problems with hygiene, we have children who are hungry, malnutrition, and the list goes on. And all this relies on the shoulders of the pastoral team. They're not always teachers, but they're hired in order to make sure the children are covered. They have to liaise with the LADO, the uh, local authority designated officer. They have to liaise with social services. They have to liaise with medical uh, services at the NHS, uh, with speech therapists, with nurses, with um, sometimes church leaders, some people from the community, from parents and other members of staff. It is a, an intense work that is draining when you are uh, obviously emotionally involved and the people who work in the pastoral team are very emotionally, emotionally involved. So these safeguarding responsibilities are amazing because they are here to protect children and we are advocate of protecting children. These safeguarding responsibilities started and were enshrined in the law by Section 100, 175 of the Education Act in 2002. And this set a legal duty. Anyone working in the school, including nursery, early years and further education post-18, has to make arrangements to safeguard and promote the welfare of children. And that's beautiful. And this is something we should all be proud of. Now, the problem is that it's not just about creating a safe environment for children when they're in school. Now, the Education Act makes us legally responsible if we do not see signs of abuse and flag them properly. And the problem is that abuse takes many forms and abuse is very often hidden. So it makes teaching staff sometimes feel like they're a bit paranoid and they see cases of abuse everywhere, whereas it could be just, oh, uh, little Johnny is prone to falling at basketball practice and he, he has wounds very often. But we always have to log everything. And sometimes I feel like I'm overstepping myself because I log absolutely. If a child falls asleep in my class, I have to log it in. And I have to uh, alert the pastoral team and sometimes the um, safeguarding officer if a child does it often because it could be a sign that there's a, a major issue. So we are constantly, um, like spy, looking out for anything as well as teaching and doing our normal teaching job. So this creates an emotional burden that affects teacher morale in 2024. But before I go into the intricacies of being a teacher in 2024, let's listen to the news. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. 
visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The mother of murdered schoolgirl Brianna Jai has spoken about the need for positive change and a lasting legacy for her daughter. Mrs Jai visited Westminster as part of her campaign for mindfulness to be taught in all schools in England. She commented on her Peace and Mind UK Facebook page that her focus would be to improve lives by empowering people, giving them the tools to build mental resilience, empathy and self-compassion through mindfulness. She went on to say that she hoped to create more understanding for everyone. Mrs Jai has already raised thousands of pounds to deliver mindfulness training in schools in her local area. The Department for Education has said there were no plans to introduce mindfulness, but the RSHE curriculum included a strong focus on mental health and that all schools had been offered grants to train a senior mental health lead by 2025. Mrs Jai has also spoken about the idea for a phone for under 16s to limit access to social media apps. The Children's Commissioner, Dame Rachel D'Souza, told the BBC that she supported the ideas and said more could be done to promote phones that are safe by design. She described Mrs Jai's vision as really smart, but questioned whether the likes of Google and Apple would create phones with access that is safe by design. PM Rishi Sunak has stated that the new Online Safety Act is robust, but parents told the BBC how difficult it is to take away a smartphone from a child who already has one, whilst others described the pressure from social media as relentless. In Wales, the cap on university tuition fees is rising from £9,000 to £9,250 a year from September. Education Minister Jeremy Miles says he recognises students will be disappointed. A report on the BBC News website says loans will also go up to cover the 2.8% increase, which will affect undergraduate students studying in Wales whose home address is in Wales. Those with a home address in Wales but who study in other parts of the UK are unaffected because they already pay the £9,250 for their studies. Mr Miles blamed sustained inflationary pressure on high education providers in Wales and that the increase was unavoidable, but would help to safeguard provision and investment. The Guardian reported on school finances with an article on findings that almost half of multi-academy trusts in England were in deficit last year. The report by the accountancy network Creston UK 
was based on studying the accounts of 279 trusts, representing over 2,300 schools. It found 47% were running in-year deficits. Rising energy bills and staffing costs were blamed by many and made worse by uncertainty around income streams. School leaders say that schools are constantly asked to do more with less. Last October, the Department for Education in England admitted to making a £370 million error, meaning mainstream primary and secondary schools will be given at least £50 less for each pupil than original forecasting predicted. This forced school leaders to redraw their budgets for 2024 to 25. With energy costs still high and a recruitment and retention crisis leading to an increased use of agency staff, mean that many school leaders are facing further pressure on budgets and many expect a deficit trend to continue. More than 100 school buildings containing dangerous concrete will be rebuilt or refurbished, according to a report on the BBC. The government says all affected schools will receive funding to permanently remove the dangerous concrete known as RAC. Unions say the announcement includes no new money. The 234 schools affected in England have reportedly returned to face-to-face -face learning, but many children are still being taught in marquees, portable classrooms or in other off-site locations. Some pupils have not been able to access specialist classrooms for design and technology, as well as science labs and other specialist spaces. The government has been criticised for not making changes to exams for those affected. Finally, a jury in the United States of America has held the mother of a 15-year-old mass shooter criminally responsible for the death of four high school students in 2021. The 15-year-old himself was sentenced to life without parole in December. But at the start of February, the male's mother was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. The first time a parent has been convicted of such charges due to their child's role in a mass shooting. The case has raised questions about the accountability of parents. Although the youth's parents had gifted him the weapon days before the attack. Prosecutors also argued that parents had not paid enough attention to their son's declining mental health. US law generally only holds individuals responsible for their own actions, but this case appears to present some change. The schools where the shooting took place has also faced criticism for not acting swiftly when drawings of guns were found on the mail earlier in the day of the shooting. Whatever the outcome of the sentencing, the case appears to be reinvigorating debate around the issue of parental responsibility, alongside individual culpability. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Thank you, dear listeners, for listening to the news. So we were talking about um, having one's finger on the teacher's pulse and there was the issues of teacher retention and um, obviously the increase in pastoral and safeguarding duties that teachers have to do on top of their excessive workload, long working hours, dwindling resources and um, just their job, to be honest. Um, it is not an easy job. But I want to also um, think about 
um, teaching as a vocation and what it takes to become a teacher? Because I saw it on social media this week. There was someone who said, oh, I have a teacher student who wants to know why I, she should persevere in her uh, teaching studies. What would you recommend? And I thought it was actually a very good thing to talk about the positives. Um, let's talk about the positives. And because we briefly saw all the reasons why teaching is difficult, but I want to sh shine a light on the positive sides. What I do like the most about teaching is my relationship with the students. It is very challenging at times, but in the majority of cases, I would say we have a good understanding. They know I'm here to make them work really hard and that I want I want this to happen in a safe, controlled, positive environment. And I think this is how we start having a good, healthy relationship with a young group of teenagers is by making sure they know that you have their back, you want what's best for them, but you have strict boundaries on how this is going to be achieved. And I think most students really appreciate this. You, you will always have those who are uh, maybe not having a good time and are quite resentful of adults in general. We are the enemy. We are, you know, the ones who impose things. We are society, the establishment, etc. But the majority of, of students realize that we are also there to, to get them from A to B and that we're going to do everything for them to get to B. And I think they are deeply thankful for this. They can be, obviously, they can grumble a bit. Um, if I could um, <laughs> record them when they say, do we have to have homework for next week? They always say that. So it's a pleasure for me to have a bit of banter that, with, with them about homework. They know I'm going to give them homework anyway. Um, they know I'm going to check if the homework was done and they know I'll give sanction if it's not done and they'll know I give them praise and achievement points if they do their homework. Um, I think it's really important that I stay resilient and systematic in the way I deal with my students and that they know that it will always be in a fair way. I will always treat them fairly and that if they can come to me if they have an issue. And they do, they do. Um, students come forward when they need help and I'm always very touched that they chose me for that. The other positive aspect of teaching is when the children have a light bulb moment. <laughs> it doesn't happen always and very often but when it happens it's quite um, it's a pleasure really. I have, um, I have a few students who realized that um, when I talked about Napoleon the French dictator and emperor. They they thought it was um, Napoleon the pig in Animal Farm, obviously, because that's what their cultural references are about. But then I talked to them about um, the emperor and uh, we talked about slavery and the West Indies and the revolution. And, and they were so curious. And it's amazing to see how they make connections. Um, they can see that the French ideals about the revolution, liberty, freedom, and brotherhood has had a massive impact worldwide um, in a positive way and that it still uh, influences people. So I love when they realize 
uh, something. Um, it's a, an epiphany in teaching when they have um, a little bit of uh, glitter or sparkle in their eyes and they, they learn something. And you can see that they'll go home and if their parents say, have you learned anything today? They'll say, oh, we talked about this and that. Um, so this is for the positive subject. Um, you know, when you are teaching them a subject, you want them to uh, embrace it and get something out of it. Now, about the intellectual involvement. Well, it can be a bit repetitive when you're teaching a subject and you teach the same level every year. You might teach uh, year eight geography or you might teach uh, year nine Spanish or you might teach year seven history. And it's always the same topics. How do you make it fun for yourself when you've repeated the same thing over and over again in different ways? Well, it, this is the challenge of being a teacher and it's the way I find it interesting is that I can have the same lesson um, for one group of year eight and then this exact same lesson with another group of year eight and it won't work the same way. It's like, um, it's like a cake. You might have all the ingredients, but if the temperature the um, outside temperature is too high or if there's too much humidity in the air, your cake won't rise in the oven and you don't know why. You can't explain. I'm sure there's a science explanation, scientific explanation, but it's the same in a classroom. You might have prepared the best lesson, have great visuals, have a bit of a listening, a bit of a video to show them, some fun activity that makes them um, use all the new vocabulary you're teaching them. And yeah, it can just really not rise at all, like a, a souffle that just collapses. And then the same lesson, uh, you might be a little bit under the weather, not really into that lesson that day, and it goes beautifully and you don't know why. And I think that's what's great about teaching is that it's never the same. And it's always surprising and you think on your feet all the time. You can have foreseen everything and there will be something new, uh, whether it's a mouse in the classroom or a fire alarm or uh, a student who just kicks off. You will never be able to predict anything and your lesson will have to go on whatever the circumstances. So you have to see it as a, an, an intellectual challenge. How can I make my lesson work even if there is a lot of hurdles in the way? And that's when I find teaching actually intellectually challenging, even though I'm repeating the same topics again and again, particularly when I teach languages, because it's going to be always the same um, vocabulary, but it has to be done in different ways. Now, also, what motivates teachers to go to work every day is to catch up with our students. As I said, having a relationship is really pleasant. Um, I can catch up with them and say, oh, have you watched your favorite program? Or, oh, you played basketball, you had a competition, how did it go? Or how did it go with the statistics exam? And it's good that they know I'm invested in their personal story and they are really enjoying the fact that I care about their um, what happens in their life. So that is definitely a great aspect of teaching. And this is what makes me happy to go to work in the morning. 
Another thing, and this is more rare, but when it happens, it's worth a lot of motivation. It's like a motivation booster. And this is having an impact. When I try to reach out to um, someone who is not interested in my subject, and being a French teacher, a lot of my students are not interested in my subject at all. And my aim is to um, obviously try and make them understand that there's very interesting aspects about learning a language. But I know I'm not going to turn them into francophiles and francophone people in just a few years. What I'm trying to plant are little seeds of interest and enthusiasm for learning in general. Because French is the language I'm teaching, because that's my mother tongue. But any other subject I've I've been teaching is important to me, whether it's geography, history or Spanish. But I really want my students to be thirsty for knowledge because I think this is the only thing we really own in our lives. Our education, our knowledge, the facts we accumulate over the years, the skills we develop, they will always be with us. And uh, unless we have obviously um, a brain injury or um, dementia, our skills and our knowledge is the last thing that we'll lose before our health and our possessions. So I think it's really, really important to see skills and long life skills as a wealth. And this is what I want my students to understand. So very often I will tell them, I know you do not like French, or I know you're only interested in DT, or I know you love maths and you don't see the point of doing French conjugation. But when you study French, you can study about France and its politics and the people there and how they affected the world and their history via colonialism, via literature, via the arts. Um, and I think by teaching them the beauty of culture, I do reach even the most stubborn teenager. Not all of them for sure, but some. I'll give you the example of D. D is um, from Eastern Europe originally, although he was born in the UK. And he's already bilingual in the sense that D speaks um, his parents' um, language at home. He might not write it, but he's a bilingual student. But D is very disengaged with his studies. And uh, when I met D's family, um, I saw D's report and it was just in red. Everything was in red. Everything was underachieving, everything was really, really, really low as far as uh, grades were concerned. And I had hoped that it was only in my subject that D was struggling, but it wasn't. It was in everything from math to English to not even sports. Usually, sometimes I have teenage boys who are really excelling at sports, but D is really disengaged with everything. D is not unhappy. D has friends, he's got a cheeky smile, he's just not into school, not into academics, and um, he's got other things he's interested in. So how did I deal with D? Because I come here, um, he's uh, he's in um, a GCSE year, and there's going to be the exam pressure, and if he's already disengaged, how can I, how can I keep D on my side? So I usually um, use my pushy ways because that's who I am. And um, I started by (laughs) never letting D get away with anything to the point that it becomes a game. 
I would see D in the corridors and if his uniform wasn't correct, I would be like, D, you need to do this, you need to do that. And um, whenever he talked in the class, I would be like, D, you, you remember we have a behavior policy, etc." And um, it almost became like a game. So every time I saw D, I would be making sure he was on his best behavior. Uh, because he's good nature and he's a lovely boy, deeply. D worked with me on that. And uh, lately, after almost seeing D just scraping by, never doing his homework, never using his book, never writing the date, the lesson, the vocab, nothing, just giggling at the back of the classroom and throwing glue sticks. Now D has started to do his homework. It happened in January. And it had never happened last year. And I think it's just a combination of making it as my duty to ensure that Dee was doing the right thing at all time, whenever I saw him, talking to his family, um, and also explaining to them that I was not going to make Dee into a Francophile or Francophone in a year, but I wanted Dee to do his best. And I am so delighted to say that so far so good. Um, Dee has been doing his homework for three lessons in a row and he's done what he could. And the best way was also to motivate Dee because I know Dee likes music. So I gave uh, a whole class homework that was actually targeting Dee in particular. I asked my students to um, prepare one piece of homework where they had to choose their favorite French song, whatever song, whatever era, whatever genre, but it had to be in French. And I told them, if you want to challenge yourself, you translate the whole song, or if you want to just do the bare minimum, you you translate the chorus only. And um, D chose the French national anthem, which I thought was it shows he's got a great sense of humor because obviously I don't think it's his choice of song to listen to on a daily basis. But I think he likes football. So for him, it was a bit of, um, you know, just to, to kind of make me smile. So he chose the national anthem and at the back of his book, he had his translation in English and in French. And to me, that was such a success. It's nothing in the grand scheme. But he's done his homework and he's thought about uh, which song to choose. So these moments are what make me enjoy my work, my teaching. It, it's what makes me smile. Um, and when um, I looked at Dee's book, I made a big fuss about it. I said, excellent choice of song, Dee. And I gave him extra achievement points and I made sure everybody noticed I was praising him because I used to always be on him, tuck your shirt in, do your homework, put your uniform properly, etc., etc. And there I really, really insisted on the praise. Later on in that same lesson, Dee was a little bit quiet, a little bit sleepy on his table because, you know, it's it's quite challenging a French lesson in uh, for GCSE content. We go through grammar, linguistics. It's not fun games. So I, I I could notice he was kind of disconnecting himself from the whole process, and I wanted him back in in the room and back um, being attentive. So 
I chose one question where I wanted him to to, trans, to translate something. It was really basic. It was um, uh, canteen routine in French, and he had to tell me what that meant. And when I said, D, can you translate this? His first reaction was like, no, 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 no. Because he didn't believe he could do it. Most of our students who are reluctant to work hard are people who suffer from very low self-esteem because they are constantly receiving a barrage of you haven't done this, you haven't done that, your grade is poor, etc., etc. So they believe it. They believe they can't do it. And even though D is never going to learn to conjugate the French subjunctive, he can do a lot still. So I insisted and I said, D, please, can you just accept my professional judgment? I believe you can translate that sentence. Can you please try? And although he believed he couldn't, he looked at it and then he said, oh, it means to eat um, and at the canteen and something like that. And I said, yeah, exactly. And obviously I praised him and everybody clapped because <laughs> that's kind of a game we have. So these are the moments that make me wake up every day, keen on going to work, because I do think that D felt great about himself. And um, even though he's not likely to get a good grade or pass at his French GCSE exam in the future. He has done something positive and I praised him and I also showed it to him that he could he could potentially progress in the future. And I'm hoping that he will always remember um, working on the national anthem uh, in the in the future when he's older. So these are the nuggets of um, intense job satisfaction that a teacher can get when they teach. And I think if you're considering teaching as a profession and you hear all the horror stories, the, the rack concrete, having to work in unheated classroom and marquees and gazebos and having children um, suffering from mental illnesses and having to deal with the safeguarding duties and, and, and the poverty and et cetera, et cetera. You're going to read that in, in the news and you're going to think, no, I can't do that job. That's just, it's grim. Well, yes, it can be, but not every day, every hour. It can have very grim, depressing moments. But then the next lesson, you have that little success with D who is enjoying his lesson and, and contributing, and then everything is positive again. So if you are ever wondering, would I want to become a teacher in the future or shall I go back to teaching or would I enjoy teaching? I would say, yes, there's immense job satisfaction to get when you're actually dealing with young people. They are funny, they're witty, they are engaged at times, not all the time, but engaged, engaging. Um, and we spend some very good moments with them. And I think it only happens when you do what you can, but you don't try to do too much as well. I'm not going to change and transform my students into people who are fluent in French in five years. I don't think this is possible for most of them. The only thing I can do is give them a positive outlook on another culture. I can make them realize that French people are very strange, but <laughs> you can be friends with them. Um, 
and also I hope that they can understand that with sheer hard work, they can do something valuable. Even though they're not academic and they won't get a nine, they can still get some satisfaction at having tried hard. And I think that's the only motivation that we need to strive to get to give to our students and the motivation we can get as teachers as well. Um, just um, hopefully this will resonate to anyone who's an educator. We all have horror stories, but we also have beautiful stories and we shouldn't ignore the beautiful because it's there and we desperately need teachers. I'm not sure a general election will happen and that um, there will be changes in the way we educate children. But a drastic revolution is necessary in the field of education because with AI and with um, well-being issues and mental health crisis, we're going to have to change the way we educate children. Sitting down for seven hours in a classroom is not really working. The results aren't there. We put more money in the system. There's more TAs. There's a lot of teachers. And yet we don't see the results we should expect. So we definitely need drastic measures to be put in place. And an overall of how we teach boys, how we teach girls, and what's the best outcome for all of them. But I really, really want to stress that the positive can outweigh the negative if we start by having, you know, changes in our classroom. And obviously the structural change has to happen because you can't ignore the fact that GCSEs are way too hard, there's way too many, there's too much pressure, it leads to poor mental health and anxiety. We can't ignore that student behavior is tough. We get called names, sometimes we get pushed and shoved. It's not an easy job. Uh, parental involvement is to go higher in the curriculum side and the academic side. And parents also need to respect teachers and work with us instead of being always confrontational. In my experience, we get a lot of confrontational parents when we're trying to work as a team with them. We need the media to support us. We need help from the Department for Education. We need uh, institutions that are supportive of teachers and not dragging them um, through hell and uh, making them sick with worry. Uh, we also need a government that puts an end to poverty because our children are malnourished. Our children are suffering from obesity or uh, under, are underfed. Our children don't have heated homes. Our children have asthma because they live in moldy houses. So we are facing so many challenges, but still we do our bit and we enjoy it. So we need to have less ridiculous demands from SLT, um, such as the tick boxes, exercises, or the highlight in that color kind of imperative, all these silly things that don't add anything and are just ignoring the big issue. And the big issue is mental health. The big issue is um, parental neglect. The big issue is financial poverty. Um, the big issue is a lack, lack of resources, crumbling buildings, uh, not enough uh, qu qualified teachers in the subject that we want the students to study. 
So all these are structural changes that are needed. And we are all raising the alarm. Children aren't well at the moment. So change has to come in the next months or, or year. But even though the job is difficult, there is hope because the young are great people. They are in the majority lovely people. They are there because they want to have a chance at life. And it's our job to make sure they get as many doors opened when they leave our school. So um, I hope facing the difficulty, but with a positive outlook helps when we talk about um, measuring um, what's going on in our teaching profession and having one's finger on the teacher's pulse. Teachers are tired, teachers are stressed, but I'm sure NHS workers are, are tired and NHS workers are stressed and I'm sure people who work in uh, services are stressed and tired and, and people who work in uh, shops uh, are stressed and tired and farmers are also very stressed and tired. We have seen farmers in France, Germany and Spain and maybe in the UK soon um, protesting because of their working conditions. So I think we are all facing um, structures that are very old-fashioned very high expectations with very low pay relatively um a lack of support and it's a general general issue it's not just for teachers it's for many many professions ai is coming whether we like it or not and if we're clever about it we could use ai in a positive way my main worry is that if we use it to control people even more that that's my main worry but i hope we can find more people who want to face teenagers in the classroom because there is great opportunities um i i've been asked lately would you consider consider a job where you would have uh, less teaching but maybe some other tasks and i was like no i actually think i'm needed in the classroom and i think my students need me like little T who said to his teacher, his new teacher, are you going to stay, miss? Are you going to stay? No, really, are you going to stay, miss? I think we need to stay. We need to stay with our students because they need us. And um, is there any other job where you feel like you're really needed and people people want you there? This is quite a great um, job satisfaction aspect, the fact that you're needed and people want to see you there every day. So despite the structural difficulties, we need to stay hopeful that there will be change coming and that the times they are changing, <laughs> to quote a very famous American uh, balladeer. So let's hear um, our announcers one more time before we wrap this up. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. 
Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our Study Skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the EtonX curriculum in your school for free. Visit EtonX.com to find out more. So this was today's topic, having one's finger on the teacher's pulse. Yes, teachers are stressed, teachers are overworked, teachers need to do more with less. We all know this. Well, we, we were on strike last year and we did get a little pay rise, which is always appreciated, even though uh, with inflation, it doesn't really feel like much. What we need to consider is all the issues we're facing are not new and they are shared by many professions. I mentioned the NHS, I mentioned the farmers, many professions are struggling at the moment. So we should definitely consider uh, uniting to improve our lot. Uh, it is essential that we make sure the next generation is not a burden with worry, anxiety, mental health and mental illnesses. Our young people are lovely people. They deserve to feel like there's a space for them in our society. They deserve to feel welcome. We are facing um, a lower fertility rate in the UK. So we are going to have to um, have schools that are, might close in the near future. In Islington, we have lost many, many students. And for the next academic year, many schools will have to actually attract students. They are no longer oversubscribed and they're going to compete to get more children on their seats. So this is different times coming. Um, do we have the resources to address these issues? I think the teaching staff will do what they do best, which is take care of the young people. Now, the question is, will the government do their share? On that note, I wish you a lovely evening and a lovely week, and I look forward to seeing you next Sunday for my anniversary 60th episode at Teachers Talk Radio. So we'll do a special for that one. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.